Welcome to episode 10 of Heart of the Bookkeeper. My name is Rob Marshall, and this is a podcast brought to you by the Institute of Certified Bookkeepers and features stories and journeys of bookkeepers, helping bookkeepers, helping business. The 1st of November 2021, this year, the Institute of Certified Bookkeepers globally will turn 25 years old. What an amazing celebration that plans to be. November in Australia also celebrates Global Bookkeeping Week, where we ask people to raise a cup to bookkeepers of all types who we believe are very much at the heart of any nation and its financial successes. What better way for us to celebrate these two events than to feature an episode with the very founders of the Institute of Certified Bookkeepers, Gary and June Carter from ICB UK. This episode chronicles who are Gary and June Carter, how the ICB came about and its very beginnings, as well as giving us a fabulous understanding and insight into what it looks like to be a bookkeeper in the United Kingdom right now, as well as other parts of the world. This is an outstanding episode that you won't want to miss. So sit back, grab a cup, raise it to a bookkeeper somewhere and enjoy episode 10 of Heart of the Bookkeeper. The Institute of Certified Bookkeepers here in Australia celebrates 15 years of existence this very year. And as much of those of us who have walked the ICB journey here in Australia, for some, most of all of those years, and we think that us Aussies have something that has revolutionised bookkeeping across the world, well, we need to take a reality check because the ICB had been around for at least a decade prior to the Australian version coming about. ICB UK was birthed in 1996 and started a fire that has touched many corners of the planet way beyond what I think may have possibly ever been imagined. And we are so incredibly fortunate to have with us today on Heart of the Bookkeeper, the very couple whose brainchild of all of this was birthed many years ago. Gary Carter is the president of ICB and the co-founder way back to 1996. And June Carter is the CEO of ICB and also a co-founder. Welcome to the podcast, Gary and June. Good morning, Bob. It's, uh, it's good to be with you. And uh, yes, it is. So uh, I believe it is morning still in the UK. I'm in the afternoon here in Western Australia and the east coast of Australia have probably gone to bed by now, but um, it's great to have you with you. June, I'm going to start with you. So number one question right from the start, was it your idea or was it Gary's? (laughs) Oh, gosh, I don't think we've ever discussed that. Um, But generally, uh, everything in life is either Gary or me, but we, we we seem to have always thought along the same lines. So even if we think it's our idea, the other one's already thought of it as well. So I think we, we, everything's joint, really. We're quite fair. <laughs> that is that is a fabulously diplomatic answer, June. I love that. <laughs> I feel as though I'm like I'm, you know, being an ICB member here in Australia since uh, the start back in uh, 2006 here in Australia, 
meeting you guys now, and, and I'll let the listeners know, I've only just connected with June and Gary in the last half an hour for the first time ever. So I, I'm, I'm actually feeling a bit nervous myself because I feel like I'm talking to, you know, the president and the first lady or something along those sort of lines. You know, these guys are royalty when it comes to the Institute of Certified Bookkeepers. So, Gary, um, June, June is saying that it was a joint idea. Are you going to sort of rebuff that or is, are you you're going along with that one? No, Rob, I think June and I have worked together for so long, even before ICB. Uh, we met at work. Um, we got married while we were working in the same firm. Uh, so, yeah, we've, we've always been together. And, you know, one of the reasons I think we got together was that we, we do think alike. <clears throat> we can look at a book, uh, look at a television program, whatever, and we are having the same thoughts. So, you know, we're sort of joined by this weird umbilical cord. Uh, but it, it has its good days and it's had its bad days. But I think it was, um, I might be wrong in saying it was Winston Churchill, but somebody said that the future is constant. It's only history that ever gets rewritten, um, which is perfectly true. And sometimes we do take responsibility for each other's ideas and sort of kick each other under the table later. But <laughs> yeah, I think, the, I think this was a joint one. Um, and I, I, I think the difference listening to, to Matthew uh, in, in your podcast with Matthew, which was, which was brilliant, um, the difference is that we did not come at this as bookkeepers or accountants. We came at this very much as small business people who'd suffered greatly from poor advice from a string of accountants and bookkeepers that either didn't understand us or we didn't understand them. And we, we saw a market, I suppose, if we're going to be crude about it, we saw something was needed and it has snowballed into our third child, basically. <laughs> now, so good, good segue there. Talking of children and talking of the journey, Tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, the, the couple. Where, where did you guys meet? So, you know, I'm gonna go, I'll, I'll go to you, June, on this one because Gary's uh, ideas might be a little bit over-romanticised perhaps, but where, where did we meet? Was it, you know, sort of likeness at first sight or was there uh, a bit of a story there? Uh, there's quite a story there. Um, <laughs> well, we we're all met, ears. <laughs> <laughs> we met on the 24th of October 1974 at a, a works dance, wow. annual dinner and dance, uh, in a, a hotel in Shropshire, which is bang in the sort of middle of the UK, called the Charlton Arms. Um, I remember it well. I think Gary has latched onto my memory rather than actually remembers <laughs> it himself. But he, his first words to me were, we dance very well together. And and is, is was that true or did he have two left feet? No, oh no, he's a, he's a good mover. He's a good right. mover. Oh, okay, there we go. <laughs> there's, there, there's the first uh, insight that we wanted to get into. Great stuff, <laughs> Gary Carter, the good mover. Yeah. <laughs> we both <laughs> we both worked for the uh, local newspaper at that stage called the Shropshire Star and the Shropshire Weekly Newspapers. Um, so that was 1974. We actually got married in 1979, uh, 29th of September, so it's our 42nd wedding anniversary next week. So, yeah. Oh, congratulations. And we have a son who was James, who was born in 1981, and our daughter Amy, born in 1983. Both have worked and continue to work at, at ICB in some regards. 
James now left and set up his own education platform, testing platform, that is used by ICB for all exams. And I suppose our journey, I then was raising the children. Gary continued to work in newspapers, corporate productions for um, companies and associations, one of which was another small bookkeeping association here in the UK. And um, after about nine years, having uh, worked with them, they their famous phrase was, you must advertise us and promote us discreetly, which is <laughs> rather difficult to do. So um, after nine years, we thought, well, actually, look, the whole bookkeeping industry profession needs recognition, needs support. Uh, so that's where the ICB was born. Wow. And that was 1996. 1996. So it's 25 years this year, and I see looking at the website, um, there's some you know wild celebrations and uh, much uh, pomp and ceremony planned for this year, which is fantastic. Um, difficult in the world that you currently find yourself in in the UK. I'm guessing uh, there won't be a lot of um, maybe face to face celebrating, but certainly a lot of high fiving across uh, the airwaves and whatever ways you can find. I'm sure. So, with Gary, when you um, when you you mentioned before that you had a, a you know sort of a business that became frustrated, it's a pretty common you know sort of scenario here in Australia regularly. The frustrations of being in small business. Maybe tell us a little bit about that business and and where did the frustrations come from? Um, as June said, we met in newspapers, so our skills were very much in publications. And one of the things that I did in the job when June and I met was I was launching free newspapers, which were a big thing in the UK at the time, rather than paying for your newspaper and getting the paper boy to deliver it or picking it up at the newsagent, everybody suddenly got offered a free newspaper that was put through their door, whether they liked it or not. Um, so we would cover virtually saturate a whole town or something or other. So we, it started that way. Um, but then I got probably a bit over ambitious and decided that I could, you know, I was doing really, really well, so I could do even bigger and better things. And we moved down to Windsor, which is just outside London. It's where Windsor Castle is, for those of you who are royal watchers. And I headed up a, a, a team there of people producing corporate publications. So instead of for um, readers with news about their town or something, we, we were employed by companies to actually tell our employees what was going inside those companies. And we had a very successful um, nine years. We won, I think, about 40 different awards, publication mm. of the year several times, internal publication of the year several times, articles, design, various things. And we were having some good fun. And that's when one of our clients, uh, actually our first clients, which was um, the Institute of Financial Accountants, um, they took us on and we were producing their magazine. We produced something called Accounting World for them. And they had this little offshoot called the International Association of Bookkeepers, which still exists today. Um, it's, it's sort of uh, there still in the background. But the problem was because they all thought they were accountants, the bookkeeping was very much a, a – they were paying lip service to it, and we felt this was wrong. And as part of our role in producing publications, we eventually moved into doing their marketing and doing their PR for them. And we felt that bookkeepers were this great unrecognized group of people out there were that you know they've been described as salt of the earth or whatever you want to call them but they were really decent people who were struggling to get their head above the parapet so that somebody knew what they were up to really and we tried to persuade the our employer at that time our our user at that time that 
they should spend far more time pushing bookkeeping because we saw this as this great white light coming over the horizon. And they said, no, 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 because that would devalue us as, as accountants and people would stop becoming accountants. They'd all become bookkeepers. So we left. I mean, it, it wasn't quite as simple as that. There were lots of other reasons at the same time, but we had a, they had a very large training provider who produced distance learning courses. And we looked at the market and the market was predominantly we would call women returners. Um, women wanted to go back to work. They wanted a more flexible opportunity. They didn't want to have to sit in a, a, an office of accountants um, and, and just wait for somebody to bring the stuff and put it on their desk. They want they wanted to do it differently. And, and much as we tried to persuade everybody that this was the way ahead, they weren't happy about it. So we said, well, look, we've got to put our money where our mouth is. So yeah, we persuaded this particular company to come with us um, and we said, right, from now on, every single distance stu learning student again, they'll, they can join our institute, we'll work with them, we'll put together a syllabus, we'll do it all. And we set up um, originally the Institute of Bookkeepers, and in those days, book hyphen keepers. And we went to government and told them what we were going to do, and, and it came just at the right time. It, it's at a time mm. when they were struggling a little bit, small businesses mm -hmm. were failing because of uh, poor financial management, and they basically snapped our hand off. And they, they, it was their suggestion. Um, the Minister for Small Business said to us, right, you need um, to be an institute, you need to be certified, let's make this proper, let's do this well. Um, and so they opened that door. In the UK, you can't use the word certified unless you're doing something special, and you can't use the word institute unless you are aiming to be professionals. Right. So this is this was it right from day one. We said, right, well, mm -hmm. you only get in by examination. You've got to jump through a lot of hoops because if we're going to make bookkeepers properly recognised, they've actually got to be good at what they do. And yeah. I think we realised very early on that there were the majority of bookkeepers actually welcomed this and wanted it and others who just wanted to get on with their number crunching at the time they could still go wherever they wanted to go um so i think we've discussed it many times i, I think if we'd have formed an association we could be quadruple the numbers at the moment but nobody would be able to look at us and say an icb bookkeeper means something it just means they're yeah. part of an association yeah no so, that's great um, that's where professional comes from i think that's fantastic. So I wanted to to ask, um, last year, 2020, um, here in Australia, we have our ICB conference. I'm sure you're aware where we uh, go off on on a long journey all the way around Australia. Uh, it's, a, it's a long journey, especially when you're from Western Australia like I am. And on stage, I spoke about those who attended would remember, I spoke about the history of bookkeeping and I spoke about uh, Luca Pacioli, 1490s, um, bringing about um, what we now know as bookkeeping. It came as a huge revelation to many of our members because they had always thought that Matthew Addison had invented bookkeeping. <laughs> um, I had to assure them. Yeah, I think Matthew does as well. Yeah, I had to assure them that he hadn't, but he was, in fact, around in the 1490s. So um, they were reassured by that bit. But um, <laughs> um, June. A bookkeeper in, say, 1980s England or UK, 1970s UK, was there any recognition at all? You know, Gary's spoken about the need to, to create the institute, but what, it, what was it like for a bookkeeper in 1979 or sometime around then? 
I think bookkeepers in back then, which is obviously a long time ago now, um, were we often describe it as flowy in the corner. You know, oh. she was kept in the corner doing yes. her God knows what sort of thing, work that nobody really understood. But then the accountant owned it. You know, they mm. ruled definitely. And um, but there was, like Gary said, there was this army of of women returners not only in the UK, as we found throughout the world, that are passionate about this, the work they do. And I think one of the things that resonated with me is that the bookkeeper will find the 50 pence, whereas the accountant will write off £10,000. Mm. You know, and it matters <laughs> to the bookkeeper. It has to balance. It has to be right. And they are passionate about doing the support they give to the small business person. And that stayed the same, but the recognition was definitely not there. They were they were kept down, I think. I think there's 7,000-plus ICB members around Australia right now going, exactly right, June. You know, we, <laughs> we, don't, we don't find 50 pence. We might look for the 50 yeah. cents maybe yeah. over here. But, yes, I, I can hear so many of our membership going, amen, yeah. amen, amen. That's yeah. exactly what bookkeepers do. So that's a great analogy. I love that. Absolutely love it. So 1996 comes about. You um, have decided that it has to be an institute. It needs to be certified. I, I'm a little bit fascinated, Gary. The Duke of Kent, is, have I got that right? Is, is the patron, is that right? How, how did you manage to get the Duke of Kent on board? That, I'm <laughs> I'm really it's, interested in that one. It's actually Prince Michael of Kent, who is the Duke Oh, of is Kent. it? Right, okay. I've That's got right. that wrong. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> no, there is no um, discussion on this one between June and, my, June and myself, no no differing debate or anything else. June read an article in the newspaper one night. we just started the institute. We were sitting in an office. Um, we had a slightly oversized office and a slightly undersized staff at this point. <laughs> and Prince Michael had written or been quoted somewhere as saying that small businesses were the backbone of the UK and they needed better financial management. And June said, ring him up, ask him to become patron. And I said, well, you can't just do that. I said, well, all right. So anyway, we composed a letter. We wrote to Prince Michael and told him what we were going to do. And we were about to change the world of bookkeeping and small business. And um, he wrote back and said, come and see me. So um, I went along to Kensington Palace, to his office at Kensington Palace, and I, I sat waiting in this, this small room, um, and it, it, it was not the, the gold-plastered room that one would normally imagine from a palace. This was the working quarters where he um, and the princess uh, lived. And he was at lunch, and he'd been a little delayed, so I, I was uh, given copious amounts of tea and coffee uh, whilst waiting for him. And he eventually arrived and he sat down and um, he asked me what it was all about. And as, as you've noticed, um, one thing I can do is talk, not necessarily always. <laughs> uh, you're do, or, you're or doing it beautifully, things. Gary. You're doing it beautifully. <laughs> There's a certain passion comes across. And he, he sort of looked at me, didn't say a great deal, thanked me for my time, said he'd think about it, and away I went. Um, so um, having paid my normal due deference and, and curtsying as I left or whatever, um, and then a couple of days later we got a letter back saying he would be delighted to be our president. So that was that actually um, 
in our first year, so next year, not this year, but next year, um, around July time, is, is the 25th anniversary for him being our patron. So he took a big risk, really, because there was no mm. background to us. Mm. Um, it was just a vision. It, it was a, an idea that we had. But we were convinced that the market was there, and we were really, really going to take the world by storm, which... Um, you know, we leave others to decide how big a storm that was, but certainly we we, we have made a difference for some people. So that, those initial years, sort of the 90s into the early 2000s, was there an immediate bang? Did you get membership coming out of your ears or was it a, a slow burn? I suppose it was a slow burn, really. We were de- At that stage, we were dealing with students who were learning. We didn't actually have any members as such because we had to get them through their training and through their qualifications. So it's it's changed a lot from those days, whereas now we, you know, they're all members and they need support in their businesses before they needed. And one of the things that we concentrated on was actually finding examination centres because the majority of our mm. students, being women returners, they have other commitments. They couldn't travel you know, they wanted an exam centre local to them, and that's what we concentrated on in those early days, finding the centres to facilitate the qualifications that they could gain, making it easier for you. Because obviously if you're, you've are you got three children, a husband, whatever, a dog, you know, you, you can't take, you can't go to London for a day or two days to take your exam. You need to do it at a time that suits you. Mm. Uh, so that's what we did. Mm. So, is that still the case now? So, if I'm I'm a um, I wake up one morning in in Huddersfield in Yorkshire. No, I can say oh. that one because I spent a, I spent a season playing cricket there in 1998. I'm wishing now that I didn't know you guys in 98. I could have gazumpted Matthew Addison on creating ICB Australia. <laughs> yes. You know, I, could, I mean, just yeah, think I, what he could have been like. You know, I know. <laughs> I, I, I could be living in a palace like him right now. But yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so if I'm, a, if I'm a bookkeeper in Huddersfield in Yorkshire, or no, I'm not a bookkeeper. I decide I want to become a bookkeeper in Huddersfield in Yorkshire right now. And I haven't got a lot of experience. I've maybe owned a plumbing business or something like that. And I'm, I feel like I'm pretty good with the books. What, 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 what happens? How, how does that happen, Gary? How do I become a bookkeeper in the UK right now? Well, the majority of people want to become bookkeepers uh, when they have a career change or they have children or, you know, they're taking parental leave, whether it's male or female, you know, we get father's leave over here as well now. And going back to their old role doesn't suit their new lifestyle that they want. Um, So 99% of our uh, students come through distance learning and we work very closely with some uh, distance learning companies and I think what we, you know, one of the big things that we have done since 1996 is we've, in conjunction with them, we've upped the ante a lot and we've made sure that the tutorial support is better, um, that there are clear goals, there are clear paths. And people work through a set of examinations. I mean, there, there are eight exams from start to finish if you want to get to the end. And then on top of that, we have exams in things like taxation and uh, self-assessment tax, which, you know, is the individual's tax return that they do every year. And, and that's the way it works. And I mean, you, you mentioned the early days. I think we were overwhelmed by our idea being taken up very, very quickly by people. Mm. 
the other thing, problem, ironically, that we faced was we said we are the Institute of Certified Bookkeepers, and every small business then said, well, we want one. We haven't got any because they were still <laughs> training. So yeah. we had this um, supply and demand um, cross, really. It, it didn't work. So eventually we were starting to fill the need of the small business, um, and that now, thankfully, has built up. And to be honest with you, our members have never run short of finding business you know they can find wow. clients like nobody's business because uh, there are so many businesses out there that need this and, and even now when technology is allowing a business to be better equipped and to know a bit more about what they're doing uh, they still don't want to do the books themselves you know they'll help they'll send a pretty invoice on Intuit or zero or whatever it is um then it's up to somebody else to look after that. Uh, yeah. And I, always, I say to our members here, some of us mow our lawns, others have a gardener. And that will always be the way with small businesses. Some people will always want to do it themselves, but a lot of people will want somebody to help them. And that's where the bookkeeper comes in. And, and we, we just have to be prepared to take on everything from the dog walker to the small tech business and, and everything that comes with it. And, and that's what we, our members have been brilliant at doing. They're very adaptable and they, they've really taken to this. Brilliant. Fascinating stuff. I'm absolutely loving this. And I reckon the listeners all around the world now would be absolutely fascinated by this. I, I'm certain of this. So June, tell me what, what's a typical day right now in the life of a bookkeeper in the UK? So here in Australia, obviously, we have our compliance needs, predominantly a thing called a BAS, a business activity statement that has to be filled out by a business owner either every month or every quarter. And there's a lot of work goes into to providing that to our government organisation, the Australian Tax Office. There's other things that go along with that. I know that you don't have... Um, well, no, I shouldn't say I don't know because I actually don't know. What what do you have that uh, a typical bookkeeper would be doing on any given day? I think you have a VAT. We have a GST. Um, I got yeah. that right? I'm going to stop right, talking because yeah. I'm getting myself um, – I just want to ask you, what does a typical bookkeeper do on any given day? They, yeah, we do have VAT, which is, like you say, the same as your GST. Although ours is, I think yours is ten percent, isn't it? And ours is twenty. Right. You know, so twenty. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Gee. I know, big difference. Yeah. The big thing that happened to our bookkeeping world in the UK in two thousand and seven was the money laundering regulations, which encompassed bookkeepers as well as accountants, which is a great move because I think it recognised, enhanced the professionalism of the bookkeeper. Mm -hmm. But now the bookkeeper has due diligence requirements to do before they take on any client. They have to identify them and make sure they are who they say they are and the business is legitimate because obviously right. economic crime is rife throughout the world. I don't think it's touched Australia yet, has it quite? Well, it's funny you say that because I've only just been part of a uh, well an ICB board meeting here in Australia in here in Australia and we were just talking about the what's called the modern business register which is on the um, on the go here in Australia and I think um, from mem memory Matthew referenced the fact that it's not too dissimilar to what the discussions were around the money laundering scenario that you're talking about now. So I'm not a, I'm just getting my head inside it really um, mm -hmm. but obviously that was 
and we've talked about this on our podcast a number of times here in Australia, there were pivotal moments. The GST coming in was the number one in 2000. That just changed everything, changed the game. And then we've had a number of other uh, significant events around superannuation and around um, payroll and HR that have really changed how small business has to interact with our regulators over here in Australia. Um, so the, I, I don't maybe explain to me what when I, when I hear the word money laundering, my mind goes crazy. What 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 does that exactly mean from a UK perspective? What what I don't quite get the money laundering piece in this. Yeah, it, it, it's yeah, it it is it is something which we've always thought was unique to the UK because we've always had. Um, firstly, we've had problems with terrorism. And also we have problems with Russians coming over here and buying up huge chunks of, of the, the country with, uh, and I'm sorry to call them all Russians, I mean any <laughs> other person, coming into this country and buying up chunks of land with funny money, as we call it. You know, it's, it's money right. that they've not paid tax on or they've hidden or they've, they've extracted from people un, under whatever um, pressure. Um, and government has been trying to trace this. And every time government cuts off an angle, they find a new one. And it was decided way back in the early 2000s that the people who were handling this money and almost inadvertently legitimizing it were people like accountants and lawyers because right. accountants were working with businesses that were owned by oligarch one, two, three, and four, um, but putting through a set of accounts has made it all look nice. They were quite happy to pay tax because once they pay tax on it, that legitimized the funds. And we were talking yep. mega billions. Um, and then, of course, we have people who are selling drugs or selling arms to people or whatever. And there was a lot of cash. Now, the government has made very strong moves to stop people dealing in cash. Uh, and so, therefore, all of a sudden, they've got, and we, you know, we've got pictures of warehouses full of dollar bills and pound notes and various other things that they couldn't move. <laughs> mm. uh, so they've always been looking for new avenues. And, and this is, I think, where, where this comes in. And now we are finding that they're moving right the way along the financial chain and bookkeepers are being asked to set up bogus companies and I'll send you a 1,000, you keep 500, and you send me 500 back and all this sort of stuff. And, and it's part of our job to make sure that our members don't fall for this in any way. Um, and we're part of... Um, a group, and we're called a money laundering supervisor. And, and ICB was legislated as a Schedule One body. So all of a sudden, we're sitting alongside all of the chartered and certified accountants. Uh, we're sitting at the same table, and we have the same responsibilities. So if you want to be a bookkeeper or an accountant um, or a lawyer, in fact, in this country, you have to be licensed to be one. Right. Now, if you're not part of a professional body that is a Schedule 1 body, you can be licensed directly through our tax office, which is Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs, HMRC, um, but you're regarded basically as not being able to get in in any other way. So the the whole thing is being ramped up. So what we did, I mean, June mentioned uh, we've got uh, two of our children, they're both involved with the business. Mm -hmm. Amy, who is our daughter, she is now um, our head of... Uh, what we call voice brand and vision. You know, she looks after all the publicity, et cetera. So she's working to try and get members in at the front end. And we're yeah. busy trying to make sure they're not crooks at the other end, you know. So yeah. it's, it's um, blessing and a curse of, of yeah. money laundering. But James 
Pasad who left, he be he's he's set up for as a software package called Amlon or AML Online, and our members get this as part of their fee. And when they get a new client, they have to feed all the information about that client into this software, and the software generates a risk rating. So, right. Um, okay. Do they take cash? Do we know who the directors are? Then you have to uh-huh. look at each director, all this sort of stuff. It's, it's quite wow. involved. And, and I have yeah. to say, members doing do it because they have to, not because it really lights their tree. Um, so it, it's a difficult one. And then we have to risk rate our members. So we have to see whether they're dealing with a lot of high-risk clients, and then we have to take more notice of them. And we actually have a team of about eight former police officers who've worked in the financial intelligence units over here, and they spend their time gathering intelligence via our database on our members, on their clients, and helping them identify problems. Wow. Uh, so it's... It's, it's quite a task, but I think that it become we, we get our members to make it just part of what they do. And, I mean, June obviously mentioned money laundering because it's one of the areas that Matthew and we have been discussing at great length because he thinks it's never going to hit Australia. Uh, <laughs> and we are listening. We're part of the uh, what's called FATF, the Financial Action Task Force, which is a, a global body. And um, they're a bit concerned that Australia isn't going to be part of it either. They, they keep telling them they've got to be. And I think, you're, as a country, you're pretty reticent. And I think Matthew sees some of the problems that we've had here mm. about being the friendly, professional, supportive body and the regulator. Uh, and mm-hmm. you can see it's caused us a few problems. I think those problems... Um, in, in effect, have actually made us even more professional, as June alluded to. Um, but I, I know he's a bit concerned uh, because we have to discipline members. You know, we have mm. to expect that we go into their premises, we look at what they're doing. If they're not doing it right, we find them. And if ultimately, if they're not abiding by the law, we have to expel them. But then they go on a national register and they can't be bookkeepers again. Wow. That, that is, yeah, clearly something that uh, is very foreign to us here in Australia, that concept. Um, so obviously we'll watch uh, how that does unfold over the next few years. And one thing we are uh, very fortunate about here in Australia is Matthew is um, incredibly in tune with, with government here in Australia. So um, I'm sure if it starts to unfold, he'll be right across it. Um, we are, we are very lucky. It, it, it started as money laundering and it doesn't touch our members very often. Thankfully, it's very light. But where it has moved into more is fraud and the grey economy um, and what people are doing with that money instead of paying the tax man. And so, therefore, although it started out with this huge sledgehammer to crack what we think in bookkeeping is a bit of a walnut, it it has become more. So we are heavily involved in all sorts of uh, schemes and uh, cons, etc., and how our members can can avoid that, because the, we always say the difference between a bookkeeper and an accountant, in very general terms, and trying not to be too mean to accountants, is the accountants see an account, set of accounts once a year when they're doing the year end. A bookkeeper yep. sees it on a almost an hour by hour basis now that we're in the cloud, and yes. they can see these things, they can spot them, and they can cut them off at the source. Yeah. rather than wait for the end of 12 months and then think, well, this doesn't look right. Well, I tell you what, let's get the accounts in now anyway because we're right on the deadline. We'll worry about this later. So that, that's where government came from, I think. And definitely there's no issue. The the grey economy, as you called it, I think we might call it the uh, the, the black economy here in Australia. Um, 
the, the, the cash economy, the uh, those not doing the right thing, whatever which way you want to put it, um, we definitely had that. That's not foreign to <laughs> that's not unique to the UK. I can give you the tip. Um, we we definitely as a bookkeeping community are witness to things that are, are you know can challenge us and are very unsavoury at times. There is a very significant um, case going on here in Western Australia with a with a local accountant from my local area at the moment who got sadly caught up in similar type events and it's it's causing a lot of angst because the reality is accountants and bookkeepers are trusted in society. I'm assuming they are in, in the UK no different to here in Australia and, and when a situation like is unfolding here in Western Australia right now um, happens, it, you know, it suddenly affects people. I've spoken to clients of mine who have spoken of this particular person being somebody they invited to their wedding or, you know, had them, at, you know, at their childbirth, that sort of thing. So um, it's it's an interesting concept that you guys have um, moved into over there. And um, I'm sure in time we may hear a lot more about that here in Australia. June, I, I probably cut you off a little bit earlier and I didn't mean to, um, with with the day-to-day work of a bookkeeper, do they do they have a lodgement program? So here in Australia, we lodge this thing called the BAS once a month or once a quarter. Is there something that has to be regularly updated to the regulators through compliance in the UK or is that still just a once a year thing? We are moving very rapidly now on what we call MTD, Making Tax Digital. And they brought it in on the VAT. It's now going in on tax. And this is going to be quarterly, or it is on, it's already quarterly on some things. So that has been quarterly for a long time. Yeah, um, yes. That, that was the one tax which bookkeepers, it was their natural bit. That's what they did. Um, and as June says, the, the big move now is making tax digital, brought about by software and, and everything else, but government wanting to regulate a bit more. Um, and so the tax for self-employed people is becoming totally digital by next uh, next year. April, um, yeah. So, yeah, so the tax has got to be um, worked out on a quarterly basis. They don't have to pay it yet on a quarterly basis, but they've got to know what's coming up. Right. Um, yep. And this is because I think a lot of businesses got to the year end and didn't realise they've been losing money for 12 months. Yeah. Well, it, so it's good. We're selling it to them that it's good for them. And I think I think it really is. People do need to know what they're doing. Um, and uh, so, so that's coming about. We think it's going to spread across the board. And I can see them wanting their tax book uh, paid as well on a quarterly basis eventually because uh, v, uh, VAT, our uh, value-added tax, is paid quarterly. Right. Um, and with our income tax, or sorry, uh, corporation tax, which is what companies pay, we get ACT, which is advanced corporation tax, where there's this sort of weird calculation based on last year's figures, and we have to pay half of what they think the whole year is going to be. And that's normally way off what's actually happening. And yeah. that was particularly so last year during COVID where people's lives were tip, tipped upside down. Um, so this is just going to be basically far more accurate. It's, it's got to be a good thing in the long term. Well, I think we we might have trumped you on that one because we used to have a similar tax here in Australia in the 80s, 90s and prior called provisional tax, which was exactly a similar arrangement to what you're talking about now. And the GST, when it came in in the year 2000, removed that 
odorous tax, and it was odorous. I'll give you the tip. It wasn't onerous. It was odorous. We it it, it was a horrible thing, and and like you said, Gary caused a lot of businesses to be struggling simply on the basis that they had a good year last year, but they're not having a good year this year, but it wasn't based on that. So it's interesting that you're going down a similar track. Well, the, the small business, the, the butcher, baker, candlestick baker, they didn't go into business to be a bookkeeper to do the books, but the bookkeeper did, you know, exactly. so it just makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. It does. It totally makes sense. So here in Australia, large parts of Australia have been um, – you know, affected especially in the last um, more so six months or maybe 10 months with COVID. I believe it's been a, a quite a long journey for you guys in the UK in regards to that. Um, Gary, how has that affected your community, the bookkeeping community? How has that sort of changed, maybe changed a few things or or, or caused a rethinking when it comes to the bookkeeping processes in, in the UK? It's obviously been pretty devastating here in the UK. I, I think we've got one of the largest per capita death rates anywhere in the world. Um, mm. We are a very small country. Unlike yourselves, we're sort of sitting on top of each other a lot in places here. Uh, so it does get the chance to spread. And, you know, we have people coming in from all over the world at different times and bringing bits with them and taking it away again. So it's, it's been a problem. But I think... Um, there have been a number of challenges. And if you look at the fact that over 80% of our members are women, and the majority of those are um, bringing up a small family, um, their husband's been laid off. Um, they, like you, you had um, uh, job saver, wasn't it? We, we had furloughs, yep. for some strange reason. Um, we got, you know, people were paid 80% of their salary to stay at home for a while. But that meant they were getting under the feet of our poor bookkeepers, their husbands or wives were back at home with them. Uh, but then on top of that, no schools were open, so everybody had to do online learning with their children. So they were suddenly running the house, doing the schooling, trying to keep the partner happy and doing their bookkeeping still. And at a time when every single client was in panic mode, so they yeah. wanted their hands held, they wanted forms filled and everything else. But actually, I think we have to look at back, and you were talking about pivotal moments before, but I, I think COVID was a pivotal moment because people relied on their bookkeeper, but probably for the first time recognized the fact that they relied on their bookkeeper because in the past they've just done this account which they needed and they've got to have. But all of a sudden they were in desperate times and they really needed their bookkeeper. And, and so I think... We've, we're making sure that our members are, one, as this starts to peter out, that the clients don't forget who helped them through the, the bad times. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I think they really came into their own. And I, and I have to say that one of the people we've really got to thank for this is Rod Drury because, you know, his, his uh, decision many years ago to go to the cloud mm -hmm. and that we were able to do this. I mean, if, mm. if you get back what we'd have done through COVID if we were all still working on desktops and we couldn't communicate over the, over the, uh, the cloud, as it's, it's called. Um, I mean, that was um, a bit of foresight by somebody that really, yeah. really played into our hands. And Yeah, but so I don't want to make it sound as if COVID was great because it wasn't, but I, I do think that those bookkeepers who really know what they're doing turned it to their advantage. And if you look at 
our I think our client our client number we can tell this because of the AML online system as I said before we had about one hundred and ten thousand clients spread across our members during COVID that went up by eleven thousand clients and wow. it was people who hadn't used a bookkeeper before who'd probably got their own bit of software but suddenly had to send it off to government and were very panicky about this so they they spoke to us so um, yeah I. I I think it's it's really sorted out the the good guys from from those people who have just known how to spell bookkeeper. It's, it's an old thing of mine, you know, that uh, <laughs> some people call themselves bookkeeper, but that's because they know how to spell it. Other people call themselves bookkeeper because they really know what they're doing. Yeah, and um, I th- I think it's 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 been good for us as a profession because most accountants, I have to say, and I, I do occasionally have a do good accountants. You probably realise. Um, they weren't used to this mode of no. regular constant delivery. And all of a sudden, these people who they only see once a year to do their year-end wanted them on a weekly, daily basis to give them the help, and they weren't geared up for it. Yeah. And all of a sudden, we were seeing things like uh, accountants need to move to the cloud. Well, we were there already. You know? Yeah, <laughs> we, yeah. Using, this is bread and butter for it us. It sounds uh, like a familiar story, yes. <laughs> You mentioned before, what what does the average bookkeeper look like? And I've often said, if you had pictures of our bookkeepers right the way around the world, and we're in 142 countries now, um, basically, they all look the same. There's not a lot of difference. And, you know, you could look at a a meeting from some of your people in Melbourne or wherever, and I could swap the caption – for a meeting that's taking place in Birmingham in this country or something or other, right. you wouldn't be able to tell that actually, oh, no, no, they're the Australians or they're the British or, or they're the, the American or something or other. They're just this, there's a glow that comes from bookkeepers, I think. Yeah, there and, is. And that's common, you know, it's this community and we all help each other out and we're all there for everybody else. And, you know, we have branch meetings very similar to, to what they have in Australia. Uh, but you get new people coming in, and they're amazed that the people who've been doing this for a while then want to help them out. And they're saying, but aren't you risking me taking your clients away? And they say, no, 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 there's stacks of business for everybody. You know, We yeah. want to make sure you're good because you're helping us create this reputation of professionalism for bookkeepers. It's not, it's, you're joining a, a family. It's a very supportive community. There is no competition. And the other thing, the COVID, like Gary mentioned, our branch meetings, like you have over there, they all went on Zoom. Yes. So, you know, that was brilliant because they facilitated actually more people being able to be engaged and attending them, you know, the disabled or whatever, you know, could go. So that was fabulous. You do, it is something I do lay awake some nights pondering, should be thinking about other things, maybe what's happening with the cricket or something like that. But I do I do ponder regularly, how would we have traversed COVID without the cloud? You're yeah. absolutely right, Gary. It's the, pivotal, it's the pivotal moment in all of this. If we didn't have that, we would be having a completely different conversation that would be a, a very, very different conversation altogether. I, I did hear the the what effectively was the concept of the cloud here in Australia back in 2001. I went to a conference here um, with a a prominent software company that I was involved with, MYOB, and a guy called Chris Lee. 
on stage spoke about a world that he saw very soon where you wouldn't actually have to go to your client to do their books. And I remember flying back from, uh, it was in Adelaide to Perth where I'm based or just south of Perth. And I, I spent nearly three hours on the plane just going, he's dreaming. That could never, how is that going to happen? You know, I was, I was at that time a bookkeeper who would travel three or four hours just to see my client out into the, you know, the outblocks of outback of Western Australia. Um, we're out into the wheat belt of Western Australia. <laughs> I just couldn't get how that could happen. I remember speaking to a group back here in Western Australia telling them, uh, about that, and and they looked at me as if I was silly, and yet here we were, here we are, twenty years later, and it literally has made the difference. Whether you're in Australia or the UK, COVID is something that's been devastating for the world, and yet bookkeepers have been able to continue to tick along and do what they do and keep small business going. I'm firmly convinced of that, and you're right. The cloud played a huge role in that. And I think the other thing that we have to remember, though, is that bookkeepers have to remain personal. They can't fall back too far into, I don't need to see you anymore. I don't need to talk to you because actually I'll just send you your accounts. Correct. It's not that simple. Yes. And, you know, the one thing when I talk to small businesses, they see the big difference with having a bookkeeper is that somebody talks to them in their language. But it's yes. about talking. And yes. I think if, if we're not careful and we rely too heavily on um, technology, and we just do everything by email, we'll lose a very strong competitive edge that we have as bookkeepers. So we're, we're constantly telling uh, people that. I mean, we obviously know about MYOB because, as I think was alluded to in, in the interview you did with Matthew, um, we came across Craig Winkler, actually. And, mm-hmm. um, Good you know, friend, yeah. I, I can't remember whether we, we rang up Craig and said, do you want a bookkeeping organization or whether he rang us and said, we want a bookkeeping organization. I don't know. But June and I got on the plane and came over to Australia and we met with this very unassuming, very calm, gentle person. It wasn't quite what we expected. He is. Yes. He took us to his offices and there just on the left, I think it was of the front door was an office of um, Addison accountants. We were introduced to this strange looking guy called Matthew. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and then an even stranger guy, um, you know, with, with funny shoes, you know, who I'm referring to. Um, <laughs> and they took us out to dinner and, and we were grilled for some time. And, and in the end, we, it was decided, yeah, we, we needed to work together and that's what we were doing. But Matthew is, you know, if we could bottle what Matthew got, that would be great. Because, yeah, you know, he, he, he's, not, he's argumentative, he's difficult at times. And, you know, I don't say he gives <laughs> us an easy, an easy road, but... Um, Basically, he's got it. But there are Matthews around the world, you know, who've done the same. And it's, it's, it's weird. It's, it's just there are a lot of people with this idea, and whether we're in Canada or America or Ghana we're in at the moment, you know, the big uh, India, um, everybody knows bookkeepers are necessary. It's great. But if you remember, Gary, we were collected by Craig Winkler in his car, at which time he had some small children. And the car, the back seat was covered, I think, in banana sandwiches or something. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and he took us to see Matthew on stage. And we were, although we were absolutely jet lagged, 
we were totally blown away by Matthew and his passion. And I think that's something about the bookkeeping profession and community, that everybody is such a lovely person. I don't think we've ever met anybody that isn't. They are so (laughs) friendly, so human and so connected. It's great. It's a great profession to be in. It truly is. And um, in another touch of irony, we had an ICB board meeting. I think I mentioned that earlier. And for lunch today, I had a banana sandwich while we were in the meeting. So there you go. So that's a true story. Those on that meeting will will, will attest to that. Yeah, look, we we are. We What I have loved about this, this time together is that what it is revealing is whether you're a bookkeeper in we'll keep calling it out, Huddersfield in Yorkshire because that's about the only place I do actually know in England, Um, or whether you're in um, Bunbury, Western Australia, we share so many common traits, we share so many common things and I think the most common thing we shared, and I'm seeing that in June's eyes as as I do this interview, is just this incredible passion for what we do and and we all love it. We just love it and a lot of people in society find that really odd. They find that strange. A lot of people cannot wrap their head around the fact that people could actually love doing bookkeeping, but we do. We love it. And that, yeah. and the heart of the bookkeeper, the the title of this podcast really taps into that, and I can see that in both Gary and June as I, I look at them now as we speak. I'm going to have to bring this um, to an end, but if you have tuned in, and I believe you have, we have a little game at the end of uh, each of these podcasts, which we call debits and credits. Okay, so uh, I'm pretty confident that. Um, you know, in, in in the UK, you have to get your debits and your credits to, to equal in your ledger or else you're in a bit of trouble. So I've got four questions. It'll be two each, okay, where uh, I'm going to ask you a debit and a credit. Now, we've got two sort of serious questions and two more fun questions. So I hope you'll be uh, okay with what I ask you. So I'm going to start on the debit line and I'm going to start with you, June. You're, you're the first question. You and Gary have beautifully explained to us where – ICB started from where it's at now. Where do you see ICB in the UK and bookkeeping in general in 10 years' time? I think it's just going to carry on. It'll grow. It will get more members because people, because they're a naturally supportive community anyway. I think they will join ICB as the leading professional body for bookkeepers. We are there for them. Absolutely. Um, and I think the key is to, for the bookkeeper is to use the technology available to them. Do not be frightened of it. Do not shy away from using it because it will help you and it will just assist you in your work. Beautifully said. Love that answer. Thank you, June. We, we flip to the credit side. We've got to, um, we've got to uh, balance our ledger. So, Gary, you're, you're the first credit. Uh, I know we we haven't really formally met until today, but uh, those who listen in will know, and those who know me know, I have a, a, a somewhat bizarrely overextended passion for another thing called cricket. Now, this year, we've got an Ashes series here in Australia, Australia and England. Now, I'm not going to ask you who's going to win that because we've got already know who's going to win that. It's here in Australia. Come on, let's uh, let's get real. So we already know the answer to that. If we were to have an Ashes of Bookkeepers um, Australia versus England, I'm, I'm sort of thinking of maybe something along the lines of, you know, the first one that can get a set of books to trial balance 
who do you think would win? You, you've you've seen a little bit about a, a Australian bookkeeping over the journey, talking to Matthew Addison. Or let's re-pitch this. You versus Matthew Addison. Who would win that? Who would get the trial balance first? Oh, Matthew, I'm not an accountant at all. Oh. Matthew would definitely get the trial balances. Um, <laughs> listen, I was, I, I was a small business person. I didn't understand what the accountant was doing for me and the bookkeeper was doing for me, and it seemed everything I did affected this set of weird-looking figures in front of me, and I didn't know why. So I'd say something that I thought was really clever, and they'd say, oh, yeah, we can do that for you. They'd tap something into their computer, and then all of a sudden – I've got brackets around things. And I'm thinking, well, what does that mean? <laughs> so, you know, Matthew is an accountant. He knows where he's coming from. I'm coming at this from, from the other side, as we said earlier. And uh, so, yeah, when, it, when it's accounting coming up. When it comes to talking, yeah, that's probably 50-52. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I... I've been ICB for 10 more years than he has, so I get seniority. <laughs> that's about it, really. Um, and, You're like uh, the WG Grace of um, yeah. of, uh, of bookkeeping, yes. <laughs> it's something like that, yeah. Um, yeah. But what I would say was that, you know, when he came over to England, at least I got him to wear a tie. <laughs> so, <laughs> really? Oh, gee, yeah, we need yeah, to see yeah. a photo of that. There Not we go. Long, long, yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. All right. Well, I'm going to take it that you've just called it that Australia would win the ashes of uh, bookkeeping, <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll debate that one again another time. Yeah. All right, Gary, I'm going to stay with you, okay? We're, we're on to another debit line. Tell us a little bit about ICB Global. And I think you mentioned before 142 countries. countries. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That the ICB is in. It, What's your vision for ICB Global in, in, in a couple of minutes? Um, bookkeepers are different to accountants, we know. So if you look at accountants, they all do roughly the same thing. It's all to international accounting standards. Big firms like Pricewaterhouse and uh, whoever, they're right the way around the world. Bookkeeping is different. It's far more country-based. So our vision for ICB was that we would have a – family of bookkeepers around the world, but actually they'd be good at what they were doing in their country. And each country would be responsible for making sure that they tapped into what was required locally. And places like Australia, we, we had Matthew. Matthew took this on board. And it's a sort of semi-mirror image of what we do in the UK. The standards are still required. The vision is still there. But you have, you know, everything you do is called something different to what we do. If you look at somewhere like Ghana, for example, they want the support of a British organization or, or wherever because their country is struggling a little bit more than, than mm. perhaps Australia is, you know. So uh, we work with countries where that is the case. And we do have countries like, I mean, uh, somewhere like, say, Turks and Caicos. We doubled our membership there last year. Um, we now have two. But, you know, small numbers find us on the web and become a part of us. But they, they want the Britishness, uh, the established, the, uh, you know, the stiff upper lip that Britain offers <laughs> and all the rest of it that you, you guys in Australia hate. Um, they <laughs> still have some sort of benefit, so we're there with that. Um, but I just, every country either has an organisation that could benefit from being part of ICB or... In many, most cases, bookkeepers are still not recognised by anybody or anything. They're, they're the mm -hmm. doers, the accountants mm -hmm. are the important people. And that's what we're fighting against. We want to say, look, if, a biz if small businesses, small business communities are going to run properly, 
They've got to have good bookkeeping. And whoever does it for them, they've got to have better bookkeeping. And so, you know, I just, we are work, I think we need to work ever more closely together. And, you know, Matthew is a very strong Australian, but he, he, he will also talk global. Um, but he realizes that in Australia, he's got to be an Australian organization because mm. otherwise the Australians wouldn't like it. And the same as mm. the British. If we suddenly mm. said, well, we're going to become an Australian organization, they'd say, well, why? We're mm. British. You know? And that, mm. that's how it works. Yeah. But the shared ideals are what ICB Global is about. And, and yes. those ideals are virtually constant, albeit in different languages. Fantastic, fantastic. I've got to ask you though, I'm from, you know, about as far away from you guys as you can imagine. I'm in, in a little place called a minor city in in world terms, but a city in, in um, Western Australia called Bunbury. What was the country you just said a minute ago? Turco, what was it? Tur- Turks and Caicos. It's, it's Tur- their islands. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Well, there you go. I've just been educated massively. Yeah. Where, whereabouts are they? Um, they're over in the sort of Armour region and, and that sort of way. You know, they're one of those oh, okay. spots of islands that have been, um, you know, taken over by the the English, the French, or the Americans at some stage or another. Right. Okay. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so, I, I, I discovered an island recently called New Zealand, but that's about as close as I've got to another right. island. Yeah. <laughs> so, wow, I okay. Like that, what, what our members from New Zealand say about the big island next door to them. Yeah, I know. I'm married to a Kiwi, so there you go. Uh, right. uh, okay. A former Kiwi. June, we get to finish on you. We get to finish on you on the on the final credit. Thank you for that, Gary. That was a brilliant insight into IC Global, ICB Global, by the way. Uh, June, this is a question that perplexes Australians. I'm not sure if it perplexes you, the people in the UK or not, but it's, it's one that divides states here in Australia. I've asked it before on Heart of the Bookkeeper. In the UK, do you have pineapple on a pizza or not? <laughs> What the hell are you going to ask? Yes. Oh, great. Fantastic. I'm I'm so relieved because I'm a huge fan of pineapple on pizza, but I hear that parts of the world just completely snub that um, delicious piece of... uh, Pineapples are great. Oh, is it? I think I'm very relieved by that. Gary and June... I, I can't even start to tell you how much I have loved every single second of this. This has been one of the more amazing podcasts that I've been able to do and I think our listeners have loved every minute of it as well just to be able to hear. And I think the central message that you guys have, have really brought out through this particular session is that whether you are in the UK or whether you're in Australia, we have this amazing shared passion for what we do. We want to, here in Australia, I'll speak um, on behalf of all Australian bookkeepers, thank both of you for what you what you saw, the vision that you saw back in the 1990s and what you created. Um, it has created something amazing here in Australia uh, and we're very thankful for both of you and what you've done uh, across that journey. We believe, or I'm led to believe, your, your daughter Amy is is looking to continue that legacy in some way, which um, we're really thankful for as well. So to the Carters, we salute you and uh, we want to thank you for joining us on Heart of the Bookkeeper today. Thank you very much. Thank it's been you, a Rob. pleasure, Rob. 
absolute pleasure. Always good to talk, as you noticed. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Well, there you have it, folks. I don't know about you, but I'm grabbing a cup right now and raising it to bookkeepers everywhere. And I also want to raise a cup to you, Gary and June, for the wildfire that you created 25 years ago that continues to spread globally to this day. Thank you, Gary and June, for your time in this episode. And we will definitely continue to follow the growth of ICB globally in the years to come with much anticipation. On behalf of bookkeepers everywhere, we want to give you our heartfelt thanks. And we continue to thank you, the listeners of Heart of the Bookkeeper, and we definitely look forward to you joining us again in episode 11 very soon. Stay safe and well, and we love your heart. Hold up. 